When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The newspaper, the coffee... The sun softening the blackened flanks of the range beyond the swollen harbour. It should have made for a blissful afternoon. But Simon had forgotten that newspapers weren't relaxing these days. They just made him think back to when nearly everyone got their news. How did they say it? Oh, yes, online. When was the last time he looked up the news on a phone? A decade or more? before the global meltdown in 2022 and the internet collapse because of... Well, he'd never quite grasped the technical reasons, but it was something to do with servers, electricity, the war in the Amazon. He shoved the thin sheets aside, nothing in there worth reading anyway. Since temperatures shot up and flying got banned, it was only local news. All the news fit to be found on foot or by sale probably just as well. Nothing good happening out there beyond the sea. He glanced apprehensively at the angry brown blur that permanently disfigured the sky to the north. It seemed closer today. He sighed and took a slug of weak coffee, but even that messed with his zen. Shipping was banned too, except for wind-powered, and coffee had become ludicrously expensive. It was warm enough in Aotearoa to grow it now, but the soil wasn't right or something. He pulled the newspaper back toward him. Well, you had to take your mind off things somehow. A headline caught his eye. Mermaid to make splash at Island Bay Fair. Huh. Since things got freaky with the weather, all kinds of strange critters had been washing up. But it was the first mermaid he'd heard of. He read on. Fishermen from the bay had caught her out south, where the straight sides steepen into blue-black. They'd put her in an old bathtub, lashed to a pontoon and filled with seawater, under a cage made of opened-out cray pots, with an old tarp on top to keep the sun off. The fair was that weekend, and the organisers were ecstatic. With the demise of fossil fuels, domestic tourism was one of the few chances small communities had to make some cash. There was fierce competition between local fairs like Island Bays, and a mermaid would knock their rival fairs into the tropical weeds. Simon resolved to take a look. The mermaid was a sensation, and the crowds were massive. People tramped in from Karori, Pororua, and even from Tapapaioia to ogle her silver tail and hear her haunting, unfathomable speech. She lay back in her brackish bath and declaimed sorrowfully to what scraps of sky she could glimpse through the tarp, and her voice was like a thousand brass bells bouncing down a golden stair, and the people could not hear it enough. Boatloads sailed up from Ototahi. 
The fair was extended into a 24-hour-a-day, week-long floating extravaganza centred around the mermaid's pontoon in the lee of Tapu Teranga Island. Since the crisis, Island Bay, along with its fair, had become an odd hybrid, like most things in Aotearoa these days. Refugees from the dairy farm riots had sailed there from up the coast, and others, fleeing the inner-city flooding, had walked over from the new swamps at Tearo, Pitaone and Rongatai. They'd settled in sprawling camps in the hillier parts of Island Bay and along the rest of what was left of Te Whanganui Atara's southern suburbs. They coexisted uneasily with genteel old money types and ageing hipsters. This year's fair was stranger than usual since it was entirely waterborne. You couldn't bring mermaids ashore, apparently. They shriveled up. So all the falafel and hot dog stands, make-your-own-honey stalls, craft brew bars, candy floss cellars, music stages and shooting galleries were tied on top of drums, tubes and barges, filling the bay with a demented constellation, an unholy two-hectare clot of neon lights, hemp ropes, fairy lights, macrame flower baskets and plastic tarps. Simon had been a fisherman himself until the sickening of the wild spaces where he'd always loved to work had put him off killing for good. He now spent his days by his lonely caravan on the cliff above the bay, tending his veggie patch or at his easel trying to capture the changing light along the ravaged range. Looking down on the mermaid's floating prison, his horror grew daily. On the fair's seventh day, he couldn't take it any more. It just wasn't what used to be called the Island Bay Way. Of course, there was nothing in the newspaper about any opposition to the mermaid's mistreatment, not with the censorship laws enacted after the farm riots, but he knew of a couple of illegal kombucha bars in Brooklyn where people would be plugged into any underground currents of resistance. On the way up Brooklyn Hill, though, he met a protest march coming down toward the bay. Free the mermaid, they chanted, and Simon smiled and fell into step. It was good that he wasn't the only one for whom torturing a mermaid was a step too far into nature's grave. The crowd swelled, and soon there were hundreds picketing the entry to the fair, just above the beach that had formed on the drowned tar seal. But the domestic tourism minister, Sir Brian McGraw, quickly had the riot police out, and with their pepper spray, long truncheons, gas masks and black body armour, they smashed the protesters back up what was left of the parade. As soon as the clouds of gas cleared, the fair resumed, though the word had gone out that the mermaid was barely moving, just lying listlessly in her tub on the pontoon as the punters filed past, gawking and pointing. McGraw, who'd made himself the fair statutory manager, prodded her doubtfully. Fair's closed for twelve hours, he told the crowd then. A wee rest, then tomorrow morning, roll up, roll up again to see the jewel of Island Bay. Simon knelt by his rainwater tank, rinsing out his eyes. He'd made it, somehow, back to the sanctuary of his cliff-top caravan. He drank from the tap, rinsed his mouth and spat. Then, his jaw clenched, he headed out to find support but there were black-clad agents moving through the streets, arresting all those with truncheon welts or black eyes, and he soon realised anyone with a wilderness conscience was in hiding or locked up. If he wanted to act, it would have to be alone. He went back home, 
set his alarm for 4am and passed out on his bed, his clothes stained with other people's tears and blood. He dreamed of a giant kawai spiked through the head. He woke in the dark and had his standard diving breakfast, a banana from the Paraparaumu plantations and hot water with a few crumbs of instant coffee. Then he clambered down to the base of the cliff where the waves broke above the long-gone esplanade. In the moonlight, he could just make out the dashed white centre-line gleaming up through the water. The bitumen was beginning to break apart, slowly becoming the blackest of sand. He pulled on his long fins and slipped into the warm, dark sea. He remembered how it used to rob your breath, this bay, even with a wet suit on, even in summer. Now it was like those tepid pools they used to have in Rotorua before they all went dry and turned into salt pans. He stroked quietly out over the reef, a long way down these days, and mostly dead. He kept going, out beyond what remained of the island. Its low-lying apron had disappeared. It was just a jutting cone. He kept well clear. He knew that patrolling its rocky edges would be armed riot cops on jet skis, converted to run on hoarded biofuel. But Simon also knew of a rock channel on the island's western edge that, in the right tide, created a powerful underwater current right below the fair. He waited, his head invisible in the small shadows between swells, until the tide drew him around the island's shoulder and lined him up. His lungs were large from a lifetime spearfishing. He spent two minutes breathing deep and slow, calmly packing air into every last crevice of his chest. Then, without the slightest splash, he took one last long breath, pointed his face down and his feet to the fading moon, and sank like a silent spear to the seabed. Gracefully, he glided under the guards, down the channel, and below the fair's floating grandstands. He turned on his back and gave a dozen languid kicks, looking up to count, against the moonlight, the concentric rings of craft he'd memorised from the clifftop. At last he bobbed up with a soft outbreath, right in the middle, beside the mermaid's pontoon, the tourism ministry had sealed her rough cage behind a fibreglass shell to shield her from those who hadn't paid. Simon trod water quietly. He scanned the surrounding pontoons, only his eyes and the top of his head above the surface. He saw no one. Strange. With the fair shut down, he'd planned for all-night security, but the inner ring of ragtag vessels was very still in the moonlight. Cautiously... Simon stood on the bottom rung of the pontoon's ladder and reached up to the door of the mermaid's cage. He had bolt cutters and a crowbar tucked in his diving belt, but just in case, he tried the handle. Soundlessly it turned and the door opened. He hauled himself up and knelt, dripping on the platform just inside the cage door, letting his eyes adjust to the gloom. It was all too easy so far. His wet skin prickled. He made out the bathtub in the middle of the pontoon and a still form sitting upright in it, the mermaid. He was about to whisper something soothing when he saw another figure, a man slumped on the floor, leaning against the tub. He stared. It couldn't be, could it? It was. Brian McGraw. 
You've come to save the mermaid, McGraw said, his voice unexpectedly gentle, holding something out to him. Stunned, Simon took it. It was a glass globe with a small membrane on one side. Inside, a flame-red fish circled, apparently swimming in thin air. What? McGraw smiled serenely. You're here to save her, yet it's she who will save you. The mermaid beckoned, and Simon stepped up to the tub. She gazed at him, her tail coiled beneath her like a silver spring, her eyes the colour of a drowned forest, and her hair was a black cloud. Never taking her eyes off him, she sang a short, hypnotic phrase to the minister, who sat strangely crumpled against the bath. He can't get up, Simon realised. She orders me to translate, McGraw said, his voice as brittle and broken as an old seashell. I can understand her, because she gave me her kiss of death. But you won't be able to, until you go below. Listen, she will speak through me. Simon listened, dumbstruck, as she told how she'd sensed his plan, and how because she had also sensed he was a fisherman who had forsworn killing. She had decided to save him from the vengeance her people would unleash that very morning on Tifanganui Atara. She told how she had seduced McGraw when he visited her during the night, how her kiss had dissolved his will but opened his ears to her ancient language, how she'd made him dismiss the guards, leave the door unlocked, and wait for Simon with the airfish. The globe. Place it against your mouth, she said. Breathe through it when we are under the water. Outside, the scaly warrior's eyes were implacable in the grey light of dawn as they broke the surface of the bay. They chanted ringing words, an enormous swell began to build, and the entire floating fair trembled. With a pulsing grace, the mermaid slipped out of the bath, past the now lifeless form of McGraw, past Simon and into the water. Simon went down the ladder behind her and took her outstretched hand. With his free hand, he put the globe to his mouth and breathed deep, letting the fish's light fill him. She drew him to her. Then the blood-warm waves rose and closed over them, over McGraw, over the fair, and over that whole busy harbour town. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. 
Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. shopify.com slash work.